your Bibles with you tonight. I invite you to open them, please, to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. On Sunday night, we're in a sermon series entitled simply The Patriarchs. We're looking at the life of Abraham in the weeks and months to come, maybe the years to come. We'll be looking at the lives of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And I hope that as we're going through this series, you'll learn that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He uses natural people to do supernatural things. That each and every one of us can be like the men that we're looking at in this series. Title of the message, Let's Be Friends. The 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. Beginning in verse 1 of that chapter, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood not far from him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, bowed himself toward the ground. He said to the three men, My lords, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray you, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. Wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort you in your hearts. After that you shall pass on. For therefore you come to your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. Verse 6, Abraham hastened to tent and to Sarah and said, Would you please make me very quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf that was tender and good and gave it to one of his young men and said, Please prepare it for a meal. Verse 8, he took butter and milk, and the calf which he had dressed, set it before the three men, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. One of the men said, Where is Sarah thy wife? And Abraham said, Behold, she is in the tent. Let's be friends. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of his day, perhaps the greatest preacher of all time, lay dying in his bed. As he was preparing to leave this world to go to the world to come, he beckoned for his wife to come, and he whispered these words into Susanna's ears. I have had such a blessed time with my Lord. I now go to be with my friend. Think about that. I've had such a blessed earthly life and ministry with my Lord. But now I'm preparing to leave and go to be with my friend. Charles Spurgeon knew the Lord as creator, and he worshipped him as such. He knew him as savior, 
He worshipped him as such. He knew him as the true and the living God, and he worshipped him as such. But he also knew him as friend. Do you know God as friend? Do I know God as friend? Do we know God as Charles Spurgeon did, as someone that we can be with, that we can talk with, that we can laugh with, that we can cry with, that we can live with? And when the day comes, we can die with. In the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis, we're going to see that Abraham knew God also as a friend. What does it mean to know God as a friend? Well, let's think about it as we look at our verses. Two things I want to lay on your heart tonight. You say, Pastor, preachers are supposed to do three things. No, we're doing two tonight. The first thing is, what does it mean to be a friend with God? It means to have communion with Him. It means to enjoy His companionship. I want you to think about the verses we just read, and if you want to keep reading, you can read a little bit more about the story. But in our verses we read in the story that we know so far, three men make an appearance to Abraham. He's never seen these men before. In fact, he doesn't even see them coming. He set the, the entrance to the tent. It's a hot day. Perhaps he's daydreaming a little bit, but all of a sudden he does see these three men. They're suddenly there. Abraham does what is customary in that day. He leaves the tent and he greets them. He gives them water to drink. He allows them to wash their hands and their feet. He grants them a place to rest out of the sun. And then he prepares a nice meal for them to eat. Now we know, and Abraham would soon know a little bit later, that those three men were not ordinary men. And the reason Abraham didn't see them coming is because they suddenly appeared out of nowhere. Now these three men, two of them are angels. The other is the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. Jesus hasn't been born yet. How can he be alive? Because he was alive as God before he was alive as Jesus. Remember what he told the religious leaders of his day? Before Abraham was, I am. You see, the Lord made many appearances in the Old Testament. In this case, he's accompanied by two angels. Now, I want to give you a quick theology lesson on angels because we hear a lot about them from time to time. I want you to note that angels are created beings. God created the angels. They didn't create themselves. Satan didn't create them. They just didn't come out of the goo to zoo, do you? <laughs> angels were creations of God himself. They were created to be worshipers of God. They were created to be warriors for God. 
They were created to be messengers for God. They were created to be servants to the Most High God. The Bible says the number of angels that God created is beyond our ability to count them. They're, they're more than the stars that are in the sky, and people who study the sky and stars tell us that there's billions upon billions of stars out there. And there's more angels than they are stars. We know from the scriptures that when angels appear, they often appear as men. They're always masculine in gender. Listen to your pastor, there's no female angels. Now if you go to buy an angel in a store, you'll find that 99.5% of them are female. And it's okay to buy a female angel just as long as you understand they're only, in reality, male angels. And these angels are mighty in power. The Bible tells us that King Hezekiah had a problem with the Assyrians and he prayed for God's help. And the next day he didn't have a problem with the Assyrians no more. God sent an angel and that angel in one night slew, slaughtered, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Wow. And we also know that angels are often involved in the affairs of men. I don't know if we have a guardian angel. The scriptures don't necessarily speak to that. But I do know this. Angelic beings watch over the people of God as directed by God himself. So Abraham is visited by two angelic beings accompanying the Lord Jesus Christ. And they communicate with Abraham as friends. Now I can't understand it. I don't even know the why of it. But the Lord seems to want to fellowship with his people. Yes, he's God and we worship him. Yes, he's Lord and we serve him. Yes, he's creator. Yes, he's savior. Far beyond who we are. But for whatever reason, this creator, this savior, this Lord, this God wants to be our friend. He wants to be with us. To talk with us. To fellowship with us. Proverbs 8, verse 31, the writer of Proverbs says of the Lord, His rejoicing in the inhabited world and His delighting with the sons of men. He rejoices when He can visit this world. He delights in fellowship and friendship with you and I. You know, long before the Lord Jesus would visit Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he visited Abraham. Long before he ever touched a leper and cleansed a leper, long before he ever hugged his disciples and held little children, he shook Abraham's hand and kissed his cheek. Long before Jesus ever sat with, uh, sat with Zacchaeus and ate bread, he dined with Abraham. Abraham was in many ways the first of what God would later do through Jesus Christ. 
and what we call the Gospels. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, longed to have fellowship and friendship with Abraham, and you and I as well. Can I give you a paraphrase of Matthew eleven twenty nine? Take my yoke upon you. Put your hand next to mine. And let's work together. Let's you and I yoke ourselves up together, says Jesus. Put your hand next to mine on the plow. And let's work together. As friends. You say, Pastor, you're, you're rather redundant and repetitious about this. I am. Because I think some of us don't believe you can be a friend with God. That you can have that kind of relationship with the one you bend your knee to and bow your head to and indeed worship as God. Well, think about friends. They're close with each other. Do you have a friend? A human friend? Aren't, aren't human friends close to one another? Don't you feel comfortable with them and they with you? Don't you have a cheerfulness when you get together? Don't you relax around people that you can call a friend? Abraham worshipped God. But in this chapter, in these verses... Abraham finds that God can be a friend too. I wonder why we don't have a friendship with God. You ever wondered why? Why are some of us hesitant to embrace God as a friend? Why? Why would we rather just touch his hymn than hold his hand? Why would we rather just acknowledge his presence than ask him to join us? Why would we rather stand off afar from him than sit at his feet? Why would we rather talk to him at the door but not invite him to come in? Why do we keep the creator, the savior, the Lord God at a distance. Why do some of us fear allowing him to be a friend? Could it be because of sin? We have sin in our life that we know would upset him. We have sin in our life that we know he would feel uncomfortable with. And because of that, we don't want him to be close to us. Porter Wagner, an old country singer of years ago, in fact, he gave Dolly Parton her first break many years ago on his show. He used to sing a song. I don't know if he wrote the song or it was his hit, but he would sing it on his show quite frequently. That was back in the day when a gospel song was always put on the variety shows, because that was expected. And a song that I remember him singing time and time again was, What would you do? What would you do? 
if Jesus came to spend some time with you? Interesting question. What would you do? You do, and you do, and you do, and I do. If tonight Jesus showed up at our house and came to sit down with us and spend some time with us as a friend, would we be rather uncomfortable? Would we hope he doesn't open the refrigerator? Would we hope that he doesn't look in the cabinet? Would we hope he doesn't look into the magazine rack? Would we hope that he doesn't ask us to turn on the television set because we've got it on a channel that... Would we hope that he doesn't ask us to play the music that we have because it's rather raunchy and rowdy? Would we be concerned about what neighbors might drop over when he's there and what they might say in his presence? Would we be concerned if our spouse joined us, what she would say or he would say, or our children or grandchildren would say? <laughs> would we? Would we be concerned if he looked at our Bible because it looks brand new, it's not been cracked open since we got it, and dust is on it? Would we be concerned that our tithing envelopes are stacked up because we never use them. If he asked about our prayer room, where do we go to have communion with him? That we don't have one. You see, some of us don't want God to be our friend because he might cramp our style or make us uncomfortable or we would be afraid that he might see things that we don't want him to see or hear things we don't want him to hear or find out something about us that we think he doesn't already know. What would you do? What would I do if Jesus came tonight to spend some time with us? What does it mean to be God's friend? It means that you feel comfortable communing with him having a companionship with him. Just as Abraham and those three men had, should we not have in our own way? And then secondly, what does it mean to be a friend to God? It means to have a concern. It means to have a concern where we can ask for God's help or we know that God will help us in that concern. It's not just about communion and companionship because Abraham and those three men are going to sit down over a meal and have that. I wonder what they talked about, by the way. You ever wonder about things like that? If the Lord Jesus came to your house tonight and sat down at the table with a cup of coffee and some coffee cake and he brought two angelic visitors with him, what would you guys talk about at the table? <laughs> Some of y'all looking pale. What would you talk about? 
Because I believe as Abraham and the Lord and the angels are talking, I believe they're sharing small talk. I believe they're talking about family. I think they're talking about geography. I think they're talking about current events. Maybe they're talking about baseball season opening up. I, they're talking. They have appeared to Abraham as friends. I don't know about you, but when I get with friends, I just want to cut up and laugh. Don't you? I believe there was a lot of laughter coming from that tent. But now this friend and his two angelic partners are about to move from the companionship phrase of friendship to the help phase. In verse 10 through 15, let's pick up the story if you have your Bibles open. And he said, I will certainly return unto you according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door. She was behind it. Now Abraham and Sarah were very old. They were well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, Sarah, upon hearing that she was going to have a son, she laughed within herself. She said, After I am waxed old, shall I have such a pleasure? My husband also is old too. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety bear a child which I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied that she laughed, for she was afraid. She said, no, I didn't laugh, but the Lord knew she did. Now, friends have companionship with one another. They commune with one another. They're able to talk about things. They're able to interact back and forth. But also friends help one another. And as this fellowship is taking place, the Lord announces that he has come not just to talk with Abraham and laugh with Abraham and fellowship with Abraham and eat a meal with Abraham. He's actually also come to help Abraham. He's come to meet a need. He's come to answer a prayer. The Lord speaks to Abraham, and he says, You have been waiting on a son. I have come to announce he's on the way. You are going to have the promised son that I promised you 24 years ago. It's been 24 years since God said to Abraham, I promise you a son. And from that son, and from that his sons, and his sons, and his sons, from those generations that will come out of you, your seed, your loins, 
A great nation will come. A great people will come. And the entire world will be blessed. 24 years have passed. Abraham, gentlemen, is 99 years old. And he's about to become a daddy. Lady Sarah is 90 years old. Do we have any 90-year-old ladies in here tonight? All right, some of you that are close to there, 90 years old. You're not having a grandbaby or great-grandbaby. You're having your own son. Won't be no headlights bringing them and taillights taking them away. You got them full-time. Lord, says Abraham, he's on the way. Now, Abraham is speechless. He doesn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to say if I got that announcement. And you wouldn't either. You'd probably pinch yourself and say, is this a dream? Or a nightmare, maybe? And Sarah's behind the tent. Like E.F. Hutton, she's listening. And she hears this announcement and she breaks out laughing on the inside. Inside laughter. And both of them have their doubts. How is God going to make this happen? Now listen to me. Both of them have their doubts. But God is going to make it happen. Because his friendship with Abraham, pay attention, is going to override his lack of faith. You see, some of you are Bible scholars and you're thinking right now. I can hear, I can hear you. You're saying, Pastor, the Bible says, let him who prays ask in faith without doubting. That's what the Bible does say that. Let him who pray ask in faith without doubting. That's true. The Bible also says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So, Pastor, Abraham has his doubts. Sarah is snickering. Neither of them Believe that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. They don't have much faith, Pastor. Well, can I ask you, how much faith do you need? <laughs> I mean, how, how big does faith have to be for God to move on it? How much does faith have to be for God to honor it? How much? If I recall, Jesus was asked that same question and he gave an answer. If you have the faith of a watermelon. Oh, just checking to see if you all know your Bible. If you have the faith of a mustard seed. Mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds there is. If you have the faith of a mustard seed. Though you might have doubts, if you have the faith of a mustard seed. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, though you might be snickering on the inside, the Bible says you have all the faith that you need. 
to see amazing things happen by God in your life. Abraham had his doubts. Sarah had her snickers. Just checking too. Not his milky way, his, her snickers. And God, because of his friendship, is going to override their doubts. Going to override the laughter. He's going to do for them what he said. Now let me say something to you. Abraham and Sarah's doubt was not if God could. It was if, if God would. You see, there's a difference. Abraham knew God could do whatever God wants to do. Sarah knew God could do whatever God wants to do. But their struggle was, and our struggle sometimes is, not if God can, but if God will. Will God actually do that for me? Yes, he did it for Abraham. Yes, he did it for Sarah. Yes, he did it for Ben. Yes, he did it for, 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 for Mary. I know he can, but will he do it for me? You say, Pastor, how do you know they believe that God could? Because they prayed for 24 years for him to. If you didn't believe he could, why would you waste your time praying for 24 years? Again, their struggle was not if God could, it was if God would. I think there's something to be said about persistence in prayer. Because some of us give up way too early. And if we would just pray through, as the old folks say, we might find that God has an amazing thing waiting on us. But we grow weary in well-doing, don't we? We get disheartened, we get discouraged because we asked God yesterday and we don't have it today. His ways are not our ways. We must allow Him to be God. But we know this, if we come, we will be received. If we call, we will be heard. If we cast, He will care. You know that, and I know that. So that's what we do. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade, the rest of our life. Don't you give up on praying for somebody that's lost. Don't you give up on praying for somebody that's sick. Don't you give up praying for somebody that has a need. You just keep praying. Because I'm telling you, he can, and I'm telling you, he will. But you just got to stay with him. That brings me back to our verse again. Jesus said to Matthew and Sarah, Come over here and hook yourself up to my yoke. Because my yoke is easy and light. Put your hand next to mine and let me take over. Isn't that what friendship's about? You just pull up alongside somebody and you allow your friends to be your companions and you allow your friends to meet your needs 
And that's what the Lord said to Abraham that day. Let's sit down and have communion and companionship, Abraham. And by the way, since I'm here, and I know you got a need, let me go ahead and meet it while I'm here. Kill two birds with one stone, if that's okay, Abraham. And a miracle transpired. Let's be friends. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.